0: Hey everyone, Wilson Cochran here. This past Sunday, I got to give a message entitled Kingdom Thread. And when I went up there, I thought I'd be able to give the whole thing, but there was just too much for one sermon. That was my poor planning. And so I have part two coming next week. But in part one, I talk about how there really is one story in the Bible and how the kingdom of God has been God's original plan and that we're part of it. And I actually talk about where we see the kingdom of God in the Garden of Eden and how we see the kingdom of God interacting with the Tower of Babel. So I hope you really enjoy this message and that you listen to part two when it is posted. Thanks, guys. All right. Just, just in case you're clapping at home, I want you to know one is clapping here. So it doesn't even matter to me at all that you just clapped because there's no. It's literally a literally pity party. No. Nope. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. I feel like um, I'd really disappoint some people if I didn't go ahead and release the kids to go get snacks and candy and pop right now. So go ahead and go do that. Um, but I'm excited to be up here with you guys. This is my first time preaching since uh, the whole thing started. If you remember, I preached the week before um, COVID broke out, and I was actually then filling in for Luke who had gotten sick the night before so it's just funny to think how much has changed like I remember coming up here and being all like scrambling to get a message together that morning and that was just a little less than two months ago not even two whole months ago but it feels like a year ago so I'm sure you guys can relate to the uh, way time is working but hey we're going to continue our supernatural series this morning, and my um, my message this morning is actually called is starting a new phase of the series. So the first phase of the series, supernatural, was called supernatural ministry, but now we're going into um, a phase of the series. that's going to be called supernatural worldview, and I'm bringing the first message in that series. I'm going to talk about worldviews and. Obviously, too, if you see my slide really quick, it says The Kingdom Thread, that's the title of my message. But um, I'm gonna dive into worldviews this morning, okay? So to introduce the idea of worldviews, let me pray first, let me pray. That's not what I was about to say, but I decided I wanna pray, so. Father, thank you, Um, Holy Spirit. Man, it's just so amazing, Holy Spirit, that you transcend space and time. There is something special about us being together corporately, but we're still together in heart because of you, Holy Spirit. Our true identity, God, we're hidden in you, we're united with Christ, so we're never alone, we're never lonely, we're never even divided, we're never broken out of unity. This, uh, this church is in unity still, even though we're not even in the building together, we're getting to walk with one spirit together. So, Father, I pray you just bless um, everyone watching this, and we also just pray for all the other churches in our city, and our region, in the nation, in the world. We pray you're just blessing on them during this time, um, and just bless, bless believers worldwide, and I pray you just really begin to turn the hearts of people who are in lostness towards you, God. Turn their hearts towards you, and we, we bless and we recognize how you are turning their hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so something you need to know is that I have the power this morning. I have a laser pointer, and right now I'm shining it in Jordan Oder's face, but I also have the power to change my slides. So they were really crazy, and they gave me the power to control of my slides. I think I'm gonna get used to this, Alec and Anthony, so um, get used to never doing my slides again. But to introduce what I wanna talk about this morning, I wanna show you this picture. This picture, that was my bad. So, take a gander, I'm sure you're seeing this right now. Um, I hope you've seen The Avengers before, a movie I love. And one of the things I love about watching The Avengers, if you don't know, this is a comic book series, this is the culmination of a comic book series movie, it's called Avengers Endgame. There is another, er, this, this is Endgame, right? Okay, this is Infinity War, Endgame's next, something. I don't know the order. Anyways. Avengers, here's the thing, Avengers is the culmination of a whole series, right? And when you watch it, you're like, like for me, I not only love the plot of this movie, but it makes me appreciate the plot of other movies as well. And here's what I mean, who's seen Iron Man or Captain America? Those are exciting, we like those movies, and, we, and the first time you watch them, Look, first of all, I'm not preaching to the comic book geeks right now, okay? So comic book geeks, just go with it. Pretend that you don't understand the plot and everything. If you're not a comic book fiend, then when you watch Captain America, you're like, this is a great movie about a guy that gets frozen in ice, blah, 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 oh, it's so awesome. When you watch Iron Man, you're like, this is about a billionaire dude that's full of himself and develops a suit and he ends up being benevolent, you know? That's like kind of what you're thinking. And it's cool and exciting, you enjoy the movie. But then, you watch Avengers Infinity War, and you're like, oh wow, it all makes sense. Like there has been a story going on. And then you go back and you watch Captain America again, or you go back and you watch Iron Man again, and you're like, there's so much I missed. And you're just like illuminated like, wow, there was a ton of stuff that I did not appreciate that I now appreciate. And here's the reason that you did not appreciate it you didn't have the bigger context. You didn't have the bigger picture. And what I wanna tell you this morning is this is exactly what the Bible is like. This is exactly what the Bible is like. If you read the book of Acts and you've never read the Gospels, then it's a good story, you benefit, you can get saved from it, but you don't appreciate it as much as the person who has studied and read the Gospels. If you read 2 Samuel and you have never read 1 Samuel, what is your problem? (laughs) <laughs> but you'll be really lost, okay? Same thing with Psalms. Like, this, this is a bit head-turning, but think about this. If you read Psalms, and you find out that a guy named David wrote half of them, you're gonna think, what is this dude's problem? He is the most bipolar, depressed person ever. But then you read the narrative of his life in First and 2 Samuel, and you see, oh my goodness, I would be writing things worse than this. <laughs> like, how did he have such a good heart? How did he have such a good spirit? So here's what I'm trying to say. There is a bigger picture going on. There's a bigger context going on and, and you know, the Bible isn't a story about the past. Yes, it is about past events, but it's about our life. You guys, the Bible is our story. The Bible is not some abstract thing written for us to observe and enjoy and get moral stories from. The primary purpose of the Bible is not to explain morality. The primary purpose of the Bible is to wrap us into God's story. And when you get wrapped up in God's story, yes, of course it teaches us about morality. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is to tell us God's story. And then when we get that big umbrella, then we start learning about morality. We learn about ethics. We learn about love. We learn about boundaries. We learn about worship. We learn about all this stuff that's really important. But if you don't approach the Bible understanding that it's, it's first and foremost a story, you won't appreciate it. As much as you can. And what I'm talking about right now, my friends, is the kingdom thread. Okay? This is the kingdom thread. And this is what I want to talk about this morning is what is the story of the Bible? What is the unifying theme? Where is it taking us? What is going on? But before I go there, um let's understand what a worldview is. So what is a worldview? What is a worldview? Here's the Oxford Dictionary definition. It's a particular philosophy of life or conception of the world, blah, blah, blah. My definition is much better. It's the lens through which we filter and understand life's events, okay? It's the lens through which we filter, so it determines how we um. It filters and understands the same thing. Filters how we understand life's events. Let me make it a little more practical for you. Hopefully it's not blurred out, washed out. I, I did design these, so if you don't like them, it's not a reflection of our creative director, Anthony Spivey, who would've made them much better than me. But glasses, okay? This is a great, um, this is a great kind of like analogy for what a worldview is. A worldview let me say this, all of us have a worldview. Every single person that has ever lived has a worldview. And I'm not sure this is exactly right, but I think that a worldview is even one of the things that separates us from animals. Because dogs in China, they approach the world the same way that dogs in America do. (laughs) Okay, like, so the fact that you are human indicates you have a worldview it is how you understand life's events. Think of it like a pair of glasses. The glasses, they impact everything you see. I remember when I got glasses in sixth grade, I realized that I could start sitting at the back of the class, baby, because I could see good. I was like, sweet, I can sit at the back now, I can see clearly. I used to have to sit at the front, now I can sit at the back, and I could see things clearly, like in a way I hadn't before. I, I remember literally when I got glasses, I could see um, leaves on, on trees, like broken out individually. And I always just thought that you could only do that if you got up close. I thought that when you're far away, the tree was blurry, you know? But no, like you can see it. So glasses are like a worldview. They impact how we see it. it makes things clear. Um, well, the worldview doesn't make things clear. The worldview makes things make sense. But where I'm really going with the glasses is this. Worldviews are pre-conscious, They're not even subconscious. They're pre-conscious. And what I mean is, you don't even think about your worldview. You're not sitting there, you don't see an event happen, and then you go, well, according to my worldview, this is how I understand that. No, according to your worldview, you understand it. (laughs) But you don't think, how should I understand this? You just understand it. And um, like an example of this would be, if you, Or if you get fired, you know, this is a super relevant example, so I'm not picking on anybody, but it just demonstrates it really well. If you lose your job, and you get incredibly stressed and broken about your financial state, and you are unable to pull yourself out of that ditch, in your worldview, who is your provider? Yourself. But if you lose your job, and you go through those emotions because who wouldn't like and the fear and the questions but you land on god's my provider he takes care of the birds of the sky he makes the flowers pretty of course he's gonna provide for me then what you've seen is oh according to my worldview god is my provider i am not my provider does that make sense now the reason that worldviews are so important um is because they actually have the ability to filter out god Our worldview has the ability to filter out God. And that that analogy I just shared, you know, you filtered God out of the equation of providing for you. I've been there, okay? But turn with me to John 12 really quick. You don't actually have to turn there, just write this down, I'm gonna tell you a story. In John 12, Jesus is preaching to people and this is verse 27 through 30, he's preaching to people, and all of a sudden, the audible voice of God speaks into the crowd that he's in and says, "Um, let's read it, because I can't remember. He says, he says, then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And listen to this, the crowd that stood there and heard it said, it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. This is where it gets scary, okay? This is where the gravity of worldviews comes in. Verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake. This voice has come for your sake and you thought it was thunder. You thought it was angels, but this voice wasn't for me. This voice came for your sake. And you know what happened? Their worldview filtered out the work of God in their life. Their worldview filtered out a supernatural encounter. Who here has said, if only the audible voice of God spoke to me. <laughs> I've said that, you know, if only that. Lord, just, Lord, please, like, ah, blah, I'm so, I feel bad. Would you just appear in my room and give me a hug? Give me a kiss, God. Ah. Well, what if he did? You might let someone else convince you that you had a psychotic break. You might let someone else convince you that you had been slipped drugs because of your worldview. Our worldview has the ability to filter out the work of God in our life. This is serious, important stuff. Prepare your heart, okay? Prepare your heart and say, Lord, I want your worldview. I want your worldview. The Bible reveals a worldview to us, and that's what I wanna show us today, okay? That's what I want to show us is that our worldview, read this, um, Luke eleven thirty four. It it illuminates worldview. Read this passage and understand, replace the word I with worldview, okay? Just do this as an exercise this week. Read Luke eleven thirty four 34 and replace the word I with worldview. I believe that's total scriptural integrity for what Jesus is intending, but do that, okay? But this is what I want to do today. I want to give us the kingdom thread in scripture. I want to give us the kingdom thread in scripture. Okay. I want us to understand the Bible through the one story idea that I was talking about earlier, where there's this kingdom thread going through it. And then what I want that to do is for that to influence your worldview, for that to, to impact the way you see According to Luke 11, the way you see would be changed by the story the Bible tells us, and then what's gonna happen is, you're gonna be effective in the world. You're gonna have an impact in other people's life. You're gonna have an impact in God's plan of redemption for this thing. God wants to redeem the earth, and he wants to use you to do it, and you need to have the right worldview, And the only way you can have the right worldview is if you see the kingdom thread. Okay? If you see the kingdom thread. So, here's where I'm going in a nutshell. The whole Bible in the next 30 minutes. Are you pumped? Okay, that's what I'm doing. 32 minutes. It's 1128 here. Fix your clocks. It's 1128 where you are. Here we go. The kingdom thread has five elements that I want to talk about. The Garden, the Garden of Eden, Babel, meaning the Tower of Babel, the nation of Israel, Jesus and his ministry, and then the book of Acts. Now, I'm obviously like, this is my thing I'm making up. Okay, so you could reword this and change it and you'd have a great message too. But my message, this is the kingdom thread, okay? These five elements. So let's start in the garden and go get your Bible. Let's just pause, go get your Bibles and get a notebook. I'm dead serious, like it'll be so edifying to you if you take some level of notes right now. Even if they're just, Or or, or just commit to coming back and taking notes. But for those of you who want to take notes, I'm going to pause for 30 seconds so you can run and get a Bible and notes. Don't feel pressure to do that like the people in the room feel pressure now. Um, But if you want to, you can do that, okay? And while, while you're doing that, turn to Genesis. All right. So... We're going to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the earth. We know, like, if you don't know the creation story, go read this. But God created everything. And when he created everything, when he created humanity, he put two people in a garden, Adam and Eve. And, he's, and we can understand from the text, there's two key assumptions that we can make about um, what existence was like. These are two key assumptions that we need to draw out of Scripture to understand what life was like. And the first one is this. Adam and Eve had full intimacy with God. This is the first assumption that's important. And and by assumption, I mean, I'm saying assumption because this isn't something explicitly taught in Scripture. This is something that we see implicit in Scripture, is something we observe happening, is that Adam and Eve had full, and it probably is taught in the New Testament, honestly, but in Genesis, it's implicit. We see that they had full intimacy with God. And what this looks like is, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, naked. (laughs) I won't walk anywhere naked, let alone with someone else in the cool of the day, okay? He had full, open intimacy with God absolute full connection. Nothing was holding him back between him and Eve and God. And then this is the second assumption. Adam and Eve had full intimacy with one another. They had full unhindered intimacy with one another. And how we know that is because this is the shame factor wasn't there yet. It's after the fall that they realized they were naked and they became ashamed. Think about this, God created them naked, so of course they were fine being around God naked, but then when they sinned, they were like, I feel like they, there was a veil taken back, and they were like, oh no, Like I gotta cover up. So they were basically not comfortable in their own skin anymore, that's what shame is. is <laughs> when you feel inadequate by nature. And you know, they actually became inadequate by nature. We're gonna, we'll see that. There is, before we get to the fall though, that's, um, Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. So in Genesis 128, we also see, so there's two assumptions, there's a blessing. We see in Genesis 128 that it says, and God blessed them. And God blessed them. That's what Genesis 128 says. That's not nothing. It's so easy to read that, and God blessed them, as Christian, Christian, Christian. More stuff to read. (laughs) You know, like, blah, blah, da, 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 No, that's significant. God blessed them. What was the blessing? It doesn't tell us. I bet it was good, okay? But they had a blessing on them. Next thing, we see that God actually gives them three assignments. And these three assignments we see in Genesis 1.28 also. Be fruitful, multiply, be fruitful and multiply, fill, and subdue. Fruitful and multiply is like the same thing. I mean, have kids. Have kids, be fruitful and multiply. Second, fill. You know what he's saying is, go. Do not stay in these 100 acres or 2,000 acres, whatever, however big the garden was. Don't stay here. Fill the earth. I want you to take the Garden of Eden and go all over the earth with it. And then third, he says, subdue it. Now you might be like, well, why does he say fill and subdue? Because this could kind of be the same thing. Here's two reasons I believe that God told them to subdue the earth. Number one, the earth wasn't subdued. The earth was not subdued. God created the earth, and it needed subdued. The Eden was, Eden was subdued, but the earth wasn't. So they had to go out and Spread the garden all across the earth. That's what you want to do. I want you to take this kingdom of God on earth portal I have made, which is the garden of Eden, and I want you to take it all throughout the earth. I want all of earth to look like Eden. Here's the second thing that's interesting. That means there was always going to be work. There was always going to be challenge. You cannot subdue something easily. And even if you do it easily, by the very nature of subduing, There's force being implemented. There's, there's blood, sweat, and tears. There's work, you know? So to subdue, like, we were guys, we were destined to work. We were destined to rule. We were destined to overcome. There was never an e- option for humanity to just, like, walk around and high-five angels and, like, eat things were good. Like, there was never this, like, like, Eden was not um, relaxing, okay? Like it was obviously relaxing because you're walking around like God, but in other sense, they, were, they knew from they go, hey, I gotta subdue, I gotta go. These are the three assignments. Multiply, fill, and subdue. But then we all know what happens next. Very sad, biggest tragedy ever, the fall. Turn with me to Genesis 3. And by the way, I wanna give a shout out to someone really quick who's really important to my family. And his name is Bill Jackson. He wrote this book called The Biblical Meta-Narrative. And uh, he's also written other books, like The Quest to the Radical Middle, which is a history of the vineyard. But the biblical narrative has been very impactful in my theological formation and understanding, and many of our staff members, Sarah's taken classes that Bill um, wrote. And my dad was actually like best friends with Bill. They were close friends. Bill really mentored my dad in things of the spirit. And Bill went uh, home to be with the Lord five years ago, about, Um, but, he has an amazing family, which is really sweet. He has a legacy, his wife and son are carrying his legacy on and they have a podcast called Radical Middle Ministries. If your ears are itching based off what I'm talking about right now, go subscribe to that podcast and listen to it. Luke and uh, his mom, I think Luke's leading it, but uh, Luke and Betsy Jackson are doing an amazing job with it. So uh, go check out um, Radical Middle Ministries podcast and, and read this book and you'll see where I got a lot of my stuff from. Could I get the other book, Dad? So, the fall. Let's look at the fall. Genesis 3. Um, So, there's a couple things that happened to the fall. I just want to hit these really quick so we can go on to the next phase of the kingdom thread. But the first thing that we see happening that I think is, um, well, here's the first thing. Why was there a talking snake? I bet you've never thought about that. I hadn't thought about that till about a year and a half ago. I could tell you my things, but you'll just, I'll do it later. Um, there's a talking snake that's obviously evil, it's, a, it's anti-God, and this snake tells Eve, why, what, like, l- 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 verse six, the, the snake says, but the, or verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what happens is the snake lies. He says, you won't die because they do. God cannot lie. God said they would die if they ate from it. And guess what? They ate from it, they died. God can't lie. And we, we see later what kind of death happened. I'll explain that. But first thing is the, the uh, serpent lies. And what he does, this is really what he does, you guys, is he causes Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness. He says, God is holding out on you. You won't die. He's holding out. You'll become like God. Hold up, wasn't humanity made in God's image? (laughs) They were already like God. They already looked like him. They already had his image. They were already in a deep, intricate way connected to him and like him. So the devil lies to them, the serpent lies to them and says, "Um, God's holding out on you. Come on, God's holding out on you. So what happens next? They actually obey the serpent. I know we don't think of it like this usually. They didn't just like take his suggestion. They literally obeyed him. They put themselves under his rule. Like God has created an order. And when it comes to the supernatural realm, this, this serpent wasn't a natural thing, okay? Like I don't have time to explain it right now, but it wasn't a scaly serpent like that came from the, it wasn't one of the things that Adam named, okay? That's not the order it came from, I don't believe. I believe this was a supernatural being itself. And humanity was created to be under the supernatural rule of God. That's the order, that's the system that God created. But they chose, we're gonna step under the supernatural order of the serpent. They said, we're not gonna obey God anymore, we're gonna obey the serpent. And what they did was, they stepped under a new covering They stepped under a new person's authority, and it was the devil's authority. And the devil ain't nice. (laughs) The devil is not benevolent. The devil took their authority away, and he started using it, and he caused havoc and pain and destruction on the earth for centuries to come. So we see they actually obeyed the serpent, but more importantly, they disobeyed God. Next thing is, they died spiritually. God said they would die in Romans 5, 19. Listen to what Paul says. This is Romans five nineteen. Paul says, "For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." And listen to this. Um, t- t- verse 12, 512, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, they died. Romans 5 explains it very clearly to us that when they ate from the tree, they did die. Not physically, they died spiritually. We see actually later on when God decides that he's going to put a cap on humanity's um, existence or on, on humanity's life on earth. That happens later. So they died spiritually. And this death entered through the one man, Adam. Adam and Eve. Um, okay, so they died spiritually. The next thing that happens in Genesis three is that they're actually cursed. We see in Genesis one that God blessed them, but now he actually issues a curse over them. And the curse is interesting because it's on three characters. The curse is on the serpent, the woman, and the man. Serpent, woman, and man. Why does he need to curse the serpent, you may ask? Because the serpent before, maybe the serpent bef- like, look, don't stone me. I'm glad you're not physically here because I feel like stones are getting picked up and getting ready to be thrown at me. Maybe the serpent was blessed before. Maybe the serpent was actually blessed before. Maybe the serpent was under God's covering, and the serpent decided to step out from under God's covering, just like humanity. So he curses the serpent, he curses the woman, and he says, your pain will be multiplied. Sorry, ladies, there was always gonna be pain in childbirth. He says that pain would be multiplied, not it would start. Just got to get that in on you girls really quick. But for men, um, basically our life becomes a living hell because your pain is multiplied. (laughs) Just kidding. But men get cursed, okay? Men get cursed as well. And there's all kinds of dynamics that are now, we see that, um, that was a total joke. Um, I mean, I don't mean it to be offensive or hurtful. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, the, The... the intimacy between man and woman, between Adam and Eve, was broken at this point. They're ashamed of one another. God actually right here establishes a hierarchical system. He says, women, now men are in charge. That's part of the curse. Part of the curse was men now are over women. Look, Listen, it says, um, Verse 18, 318, to the woman he said, "'I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing.' Multiply pain. "'In pain you shall bring forth children. "'Your desire shall be for your husband, "'and he shall rule over you.'" Guess what? Part of the curse is man ruling over woman. So I just wanna tell you something. (laughs) If you are ruling over your wife, you are living under the curse. (laughs) If that is the mentality you have, and women, if you're embracing a mentality that I am being ruled over by men, then you've actually adopted part of the cursed mentality. And if you want to start th- throwing out New Testament verses to me, we can talk about it. My email address is wilson at vcnw.org. Email me. I would love to talk to you about the context of all the New Testament passages that have caused us to disempower women for centuries. I repent, Lord, like... Okay, so man, woman, and the serpent is cursed, and then here's the fifth thing that happened. They're kicked out of the garden. They're actually kicked out of the garden, and something interesting to note about them being kicked out of the garden is, their assignment isn't revoked. He doesn't say, your assignment is revoked, he just kicks them out. One other thought while I'm up here speaking, saying whatever the heck I want, which is obvious, that's what I'm doing right now, I wonder if the Garden of Eden is still around because he leaves an angel to guard it. There's an angel guarding it. That means that um, it needs to be guarded. (laughs) And I think that the garden by nature was in some way supernatural. It's not a thing that you can access as a fallen human. I'm not saying that we as redeemed humans can get into the Garden of Eden, except, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that, but uh, just food for thought. Let's keep going. So next phase, we just left the garden. Let's go to Babel now. What happened here? What happened to the Tower of Babel? I'm sensing that this is a two-parter. <laughs> I'm sensing this message might be a two-parter. We'll see what happens. So what actually happened to the Tower of Babel? Before I go there, we need to um, acknowledge the flood. And we need to understand the flood. But you need to understand the flood under the context of the fall and the Tower of Babel. Let the flood be defined by the Tower of Babel and, um, and, and the fall. And honestly, first let the flood be defined by Genesis 6, 1-4. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the, everyone say with me, mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So what's happening here? A lot of weird stuff, okay? Essentially, angelic beings are sleeping with human beings and a offspring is being created that this, that is called in here the Nephilim. That's how it's referred to. And how else is it referred to? Mighty men, remember that. That's how this is referred to as the mighty men of old. That's what it's talking about. So, if you can't fathom that, read a book called The Unseen Realm. It will just, it'll, it'll draw this all out for you. Write it down, The Unseen Realm. But here's what happens. Angelic beings have sex with human beings, create offspring. God's like, no, 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 this is not good. I'm not into this. And then in verse 5, listen to what happens. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It was only evil continually. I cannot fathom that. Humanity's thoughts were only evil continually. Here's what he's saying. I have to restart. I gave humanity an assignment. I gave humanity intimacy with me. They blew the first one. I didn't take the assignment away, but they've gotten so bad that my assignment cannot be accomplished on earth anymore. The assignment I want accomplished. My only option is to wipe them all out and kill them all. That is what God did, okay, he did. He wiped the face of humanity off the earth. And luckily, he sees Noah. Okay? So in Genesis Genesis 6, verse 8, I know that's really heavy stuff. That's why I'm not just going by it. I don't want to act like God didn't kill all of humanity. He did. No words. Except humanity's intent was only evil continually. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want my kids to live in that world. I think God made a good call. (laughs) Accomplish his assignment or let hell on earth literally start. So let's check out Noah, chapter six, verse eight. But Noah, this is right after God says that everyone's evil, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then look at chapter seven, verse one. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So he sees, okay, there is a good dude. There's a good apple. What happens next? God floods the earth, everyone dies. Except for, Adam, or except for Noah and his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and um, their three wives. Interesting that none of them had multiple wives. We see that God allowed that in the Old Testament, but interesting that when he, he, he reset humanity, all of the dudes had only one wife. <laughs> okay, so again, we're seeing that this is, this is a revelation of God's heart and intent, is one man to one wife. That's why he created Eve, not Eve and Susie. <laughs> okay? So anyways, polygamy is not God's heart. <clears throat> Let's go to Genesis chapter 10. The flood has happened. We pick up at the Tower of Babel. Now, it's really important to note whose idea the Tower of Babel was. Read Genesis 11 to get more context on the Tower of Babel, but Genesis um, 10 actually shows us whose idea Babel was. And here are the two thoughts I want you to connect. In Genesis 11, it says this. Verse two, as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. So this is where the Tower of Babel is happening, Shinar. Now look at Genesis 10, um, verses eight through 10. Cush fathered Nimrod. This is is now talking about the descendants of Noah's sons. One of Noah's descendants was a guy named Cush, and Cush had a son named Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. What language was used in Genesis six to describe the Nephilim? the mighty men of old. I don't know, okay, I don't know. I don't know what this is saying, but it seems like it's saying something. (laughs) It seems like Nimrod might have not been purely human. He might have been half man, half whatever. That was the biggest fail ever. I was just trying to mute myself to cough and I just coughed right into the microphone. Okay, so. We see that Nimrod is actually the first mighty man. And then verse 10, the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kelna in the land of Shinar. Who was over Babel? Who was the leader of that area? Nimrod, this guy, bad guy, okay? And what does Nimrod do? Let's read in verses uh, G- Genesis 11. The people all come together, and they said to one another, in verse three, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What does this remind you of? One of their original assignments. Fill the earth, subdue the earth. Nimrod, wanted to undermine God's assignment for humanity. He wanted to instead say, let's all get together and I will be king, I will be leader. You know, I just bet you that Nimrod was the devil, okay? I'm just gonna say it. I'm thinking that Nimrod was probably like, cohabited by Satan himself because he, after God does the flood, God's trying to do a reset. Nimrod himself, he's the person that defies God and says, no, 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 we're not doing your assignment. I don't care if you wipe out all of humanity. Think about the audacity. God just did the worst thing he's ever done, the the saddest thing he's ever done. It wasn't the worst. And then Nimrod comes in and says, no, I'm going to go after my plan again. That's what the devil is like, you guys. He is in radical opposition to God, radical opposition to God. Here's an application. If you identify an area of your life that you are in agreement with the devil, radically change (laughs) because you are in agreement with someone who is in total disagreement with God. So if you find out, oh wow, this part of my life is influenced by lie, this part of my life is influenced by fear, then totally change. Be like, no, I need to do everything I can to get out of that mindset because I don't want to be influenced by someone who is in radical opposition to God, who's in radical opposition to me. That's what Nimrod was doing. So here's what we see. What they were doing at Babel was in direct disobedience to the three assignments. In verse six, God says, "'Behold, they are one people, "'and they shall have one language, "'and this is only the beginning of what they will do. "'Nothing that they propose to do "'will now be impossible for them.'" Translation, they have an exponential potential for evil exponential potential for evil. What's that sound like? Flood round two. (laughs) Flood round two, but guess what? God put a big rainbow in the sky and said, no way, I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing that again. I will never flood the earth again, but it's looking like I'm gonna have to, so I need to act quick. So God comes down to the earth, verses seven and eight, it says, come let us go down and confuse our language. God comes down, he breaks up the party, Parents are home, Kager's over, you're doing what I say from now on, okay? That's what God comes and does. Now, let's move on. I'm, for as much as I love this PowerPoint, I'm not really doing it very well. So that's the Babel. Now, let's look at the behind the scenes of Babel. You think we've been behind the scenes? Just wait, okay? We're about to go fully behind the scenes. Deuteronomy 32. If you think this has been a little weird so far, my, oh my. <laughs> Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9. This is, this is Moses recounting to Israel this long poem before Moses dies, and he's explaining to them what happened to the Tower of Babel. That's what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell address. And here's what he says. Verse 8, 32, 8, Deuteronomy 32, 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. What I want you to do right now is, if your Bible says sons of Israel, I want you to scribble out Israel and write in God. And if your Bible has a footnote, I want you to scribble out the footnote (laughs) because it's unhelpful and it's wrong. It... This translation uh, where it says sons of God is based off of the oldest manuscripts that we have of the Old Testament, okay? They're the oldest ones. What happened was someone found newer ones and they changed this to sons of Israel because they didn't like the idea of um, angels and spiritual beings having sex with humans, so they messed with it. But this, this is based off the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest manuscripts we have. It translates it the son according to the sons of god then verse 9 but the lord's portion is his people jacob his allotted heritage okay so what's happening here well let's look at verse 8 it says he when he gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided mankind he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of god flip with me to psalm 82 i'm not going to do the whole sermon today I wish I could, it'd be fun if you guys were down to sit there for, I uh, 30 minutes. But can I do, I can do it next week, huh? We, yeah, all right, I'll just finish this next week. So Psalm 82, listen to this. Keep your finger on Deuteronomy 32. Psalm 82, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Verses two through five talks about how these gods that he's judging, how they um, manage their inheritance that he gave them in verse eight of Deuteronomy 32. Okay, so Deuteronomy 32, eight, when it talks about their inheritance, Psalm 82, two through five is talking about how they handled their inheritance. Again, God's talking about spiritual beings that He has created to help Him rule the earth and and the cosmos. I don't know what else exists besides Earth, but um, so that's what verses two through five. And then listen to six. I said, "You are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations." A couple of really cool things this tells us. First of all, it tells us that the psalmist's worldview had supernatural beings aside from God and angels in it. The psalmist's worldview recognized that there was a whole host of demonic spiritual beings that were descendants of that serpent and by descendants I don't think it's literally offspring. I think it's angels that rebelled against God and fell. That's what it's talking about. So Psalm 82 is talking about these, um, the, this member of the divine council. It's this operating ruling body God has created to help him rule the earth and, and whatever else. And he says, you guys are all corrupt. Now I'm gonna judge you. You're gonna die like any man. So verse, go back to Jeremiah 32 verse 9 says, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. I'm going to wrap this up in five minutes, okay, and leave us on a cliffhanger for part two, but what's going on here is God is saying at the Tower of Babel, what I did in the natural when I scattered people all over, I also did in the supernatural, what happened in the natural realm, I did in the supernatural realm, and I said, um, I'm sending people all over, and I'm going to assign these, these rulers, these supernatural rulers that I have created that are loyal to me currently, I'm going to assign them over all these different people groups, and I am going to choose one of those people groups, and I'm going to rule them. The, uh, those spiritual beings aren't going to rule them, I'm going to rule them. That's what it says. He gave to the nation gave to the nations their inheritance. Their inheritance was these supernatural beings. He divided mankind. He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So he sets borders and um, lines in the sand um, for nation states or whatever, and says, I'm going to put spiritual beings over these different, these, uh, different people groups and these different lands and these different regions. That's why supernatural beings have more authority in certain areas than they do in other areas, You know, like if you go to one place, it feels really dark. That's because of the spiritual being that's afflicting that area. I experienced this when I was in Pakistan a couple years ago. I got there and I was just off my game terribly. Like I felt so depressed, disqualified, everything. I barely could do it. And I was talking to Micah Turnbow and he was like, dude, you went into a new spiritual climate. You went into a new spiritual climate and you're getting attacked by the spiritual climate there. That's that's what's happening. Um, On that note, just... I'm going to chase the rabbit really quick. Psalm 82 is really encouraging because listen to what it says. Arise, this is verse 8 Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. You shall inherit all the nations. God wants all people back. He's not gonna get them all back. There's people who have rejected him and died and faced their eternity. But he's going after every people group. He's going after every nation. He's going after your neighbor. He's going after ISIS. He's going after North Korea. He's going after Republicans. He's going after Democrats. He's going after this, that, the other. Whoever you think is your enemy is not because God wants to inherit them and he's going after them. Okay, so like, what the Lord's intent is, is that in the end, and not his intent, what will happen is that he will inherit all of it back. He's getting it all back, baby, okay? So don't get freaked out. Um, But verse nine of Deuteronomy 32 says this, the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. The Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So what this is talking about, it's saying that God chooses one people that he's going to now accomplish his assignments through and his will and his intent. So what's the very first thing that happens after the Tower of Babel? Go back to Genesis 6 or Genesis 11. Immediately after um, the Tower of Babel, there's all these genealogies, but a narrative starts again in verse uh, 31 or verse 27-ish, and it talks about this guy named Terah. And Terah took, in verse 31, uh, Genesis eleven thirty-one. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So this guy named Terah says, hey, I'm taking my family to Canaan. Let's go. We're leaving where we are. We're going to Canaan. And he die. he settles there and dies. And then that's the context, okay? Terah has taken his family to a new place. Terah is living in, in San Diego, and he says, hey, we're moving to San Francisco. Takes his whole family, or no, he says, we're moving to Seattle. Takes his whole family, only gets to San Francisco, and he says, we'll just settle here, this is beautiful. He dies, and his son, Abram, has an encounter with God. And that's where we are in Genesis 12:1. Now the Lord said to Abram, it's like, what, where's the context? <laughs> Just all of a sudden, the Lord said to Abram. We don't, there's not, like, we don't understand what's happening at all. Just all of a sudden, now the Lord said to Abram. <laughs> it's just so funny how the writer does that. Um, Go from your, your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So what's God doing? He's picking his person, his allotted heritage, Jacob. You know who Abram is? He is, in the future, his seed is Abram. That's who, he be, that's who um, the, the descendants of Abram become. I can't read that. Oh, well, you guys are gonna benefit, and we're recording it. Um, so Abram is the precursor to Israel. Abram is a precursor to Jacob, the, who is, the, who is I, I'm really ending here soon, is the inherit, who is the inheritance that God is selecting. He's the people that God is um, going to accomplish his assignments on the earth. And I just want to point this out, and this, I know I've said this for I'm going to end like 10 times, but it's interesting to me that God doesn't tell Abram where to go. All he says is, go into the land that I will show you. What does Abram immediately do? Continues his father's mission. He just says, I'm just gonna pick up where my dad left off. Because guys, that's God's intent for us, is that we would always be building on legacy. That we would see where the person that, like just think about what my parents have done for me in life, and your parents, if you had really good ones, have done for you in life. They have tried to set you up for success. So what you're supposed to do is you're to say, hey, thank you so much. I saw where you wanted this to go and that you didn't you weren't able to get there. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take what you said and I'm going to continue it. I'm going to build on your legacy. I'm going to go further. That's what Abram's immediate reaction is is I'm going to go where my father was going. God doesn't tell him to. It does not say, at least it's not revealed to us that God told him to go to Canaan. He just decides, that's where I'm going. So there's something really special for all of us to grab legacy and to want to build I want to build on legacy. I don't want to cut my own path. I want to cut the next part of my inheritance's path. I don't want to do my own thing. I want to find out what has been done behind me and push it forward. I sure as heck don't want to camp out there. (laughs) That's a bad idea and very boring and selfish. And I don't want to just do my own thing unless what was being done behind me was evil or bad, which happens. I want to build on it, I want to keep going, I want to build on my legacy, and all of us you guys have a good leg- Have aspects of a good legacy. All of us have things we can look back at and say hey, I want to build on that good thing. There wasn't, not everything was perfect about my family, but here's something I really love and I really admire and I want to build on that. And so that's what Abram is doing, and God calls him, and this like sets us up right here. God calling Abram sets us up for the a uh, story that is about to unravel. This is, the, this is the full reset point. The flood happened, Babel was a glitch, Babel was a little comma in the story, now I can go again when he calls Abram. All right, so live stream still down? Great, I'm glad you guys are with me again. Um, that's where we're gonna pause. So hey, really quick, just so everyone that's even on the stream can hear it, was I still being recorded? No, was I still being recorded when the live stream went down? Yes. Great. So if you want to catch what you missed, what you're going to do is listen to the podcast, okay? So that you can catch the five or six minutes or whatever that... I mean, I heard the thunder strike. I'm sure the thunder took us out or something like that. But you can catch what you missed so you can be ready for next week when I go into part two. But will you guys all stand? And anyone that wants to stand where you are, stand if you want to. I don't really care if you stand or not, but there's something good about standing. And I want to pray for you guys. So, Lord, I don't want my prayer right now, God, to ruin the punchline of my sermon next week. (laughs) But I'm going to pray this. Let us build on legacy, Father. Give us vision to see the legacy that we have so that we can build on it, God. I repent for any time and, and where I am currently not thinking with a legacy mindset and where, I'm not, where I'm attempting to cut my own selfish path. I just repent, Lord, and I say, I'm sorry for doing that. Show me where I can commit to the good legacies and the good parts of legacy that I have so that I can build on it because I'm part of a bigger story, God. I'm part of your story, and I want to be a part of it. I want to be a full participant. I want to do it right. I want to do it well. So show me how to build on legacy. And just right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that legacy will begin to drop on you guys. Right now, Father, let legacy begin to just fall in this room, begin to fall over the live stream. Just get ready, guys. Something's gonna start to drop on you if it hasn't already, and this is important. So Father, I just, I bless what you're bringing to mind. I bless what you're restoring. I bless what you're dropping on us. More, Lord, more, more, in Jesus' name. More, Father. We receive your legacy and receive our our role in the story. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, thanks for joining us. Um, Go back and listen to the podcast to hear those like five minutes or so that cut out. But I hope you have an amazing week and that um, your week is full of joy and just awesomeness. And we'll see you next week, okay?